listener production. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold on, there's nuts in my mouth from eating nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. Not like <laughs> what would, legumes, almonds. Walnuts. <laughs> Walnut. Walnut. I have still, I ate some nuts and now there's bits of nuts. Okay. <clears throat> Ready? <clears throat> <clears throat> what? Polished professionals. Thank you. Perpetually. Always. Mm. Oh, wait, there's some nut again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Award winners. <laughs> Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. Hello, Gistners. Welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a bi-weekly podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. And it's my go. You, like, stare really intently at me for that whole thing. Into and I can't. Soul. And I can't return. It's too, like confrontingly intimate. Oh. Just like while you're saying the whole thing and we're looking at each other and I know all the words, so it's like we're both like just staring until we know it's over and it's a bit much. Oh. Thanks for the feedback And so I, No, I'm not saying don't. It's just funny because I'll sort of look away and be like nodding and then I'll look back and you're still just locked on me. Mm. It's almost a little like erotic. Oh. You get a little tingly? I don't know. It's just like quiet. I don't know. A bit. Ooh. Ooh. There you go. It's like we're sharing a... I didn't know I had that power. You do? See, maybe the AI predicted something. What do you mean? The one that said that we were going to announce our engagement anytime soon. And get married. Yeah, maybe. Take the relationship to the next level. Maybe it really is going to happen. Supercomputers really are Mm -hmm, that much mm -hmm. smarter than we realised. Well, yeah. I mean, if they predict that you're going to want Vag one day, that's a... (laughs) That's a big call. That is so, better than Nostradamus. That's a big call. If they if they get that one right, then we're mm, doomed. Mm, we're doomed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a sign of the apocalypse looming. What have you got for me today? Well, look, Love. A, a few weeks ago you mentioned you were in the mood to learn about a bit of a disaster. Yes. And so I sifted through a few that I have on my little gist list mm-hmm. and I almost went with something called the Carnival Poop Cruise. <laughs> oh! Why would you tell me that if you're not going to do it? Because, are you aware of it? No. I mean, I oh. assume all cruises are poop cruises, aren't they? Oh, this one though, next level. And do a quick Google if you're curious to know anything about this at all. But when I started researching it, honestly, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was getting so nauseous reading about gastro, what these people is it went gastro through. Gastro outbreak? Yes. But they lost power on the boat. And they were stuck out at sea for <gasps> five days. They couldn't flush toilets. No aircon. They couldn't, like, refrigerate anything oh, at no. all. It was just hell on the water until they could tow this giant boat with thousands no, of people. Well, no, you've okay. got to do this as an episode. I, I, I'm sorry. I won't be able to. I don't think I'll be able to. I think I would honestly be I'll unwell. Do it. Oh, I don't think I'll be able to cope with that. I'll do it. No, you can. I How much of it did you read? Why did all? you tell me? Because now it's all I want to hear. It's all I want to hear now. <gasps> Look into it. It may even be too much for you. Uh, but honestly, I think... <laughs> please, please. Give it a little break at least. I think there's a bit too much scat chat on this podcast in the last little while. Oh. As it's been. Oh, who says... <laughs> Says the girl who has hundreds of thousands of listeners who know intimately about her butthole. Um, I think we need to do that story. Potentially. All right. And you know all about it now, so it's better if you do it. We will see. I might try to sanitise it to some extent. But look, you already know the headlines of that. You know Mm -hmm. the gist of the gist of that. We're not going into that this week. I I don't know why I went on that tangent. Why would you? See, now, whatever you say now is going to be disappointing unless it involves poop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got your work cut out for you then. All right. Off, good luck. Oh, Rosie's offside already. <laughs> Should I even bother? What are you doing? Okay, no, tell me what you're doing. What are you doing? This is one of the most historically significant mm. aircraft crashes mm. of all time. 
um, and certainly, yeah, one of the most famous. So back in the 1930s, mm. a German company built the largest aircraft the world has ever seen, a very mm. luxurious vessel designed to take very wealthy passengers across the Atlantic Ocean. It was so famous, just about everyone on the planet knew its name, had seen pictures of it. And then in May of 1937, in front of hundreds of witnesses, including some with video cameras, <gasps> it exploded and crashed in the most literally flamboyant way you could possibly <laughs> imagine. You've probably heard the term went down like a Led Zeppelin. Yeah. More than likely you've seen images of this disaster, possibly even footage, mm -hmm. and you've almost certainly heard the quote, oh, the humanity ah, somewhere oh, in pop yes. culture. I've heard that. This is just the gist of the Titanic of the Skies, the most famous balloon in history until the Chinese spy balloon entered the chat uh -huh. a couple of months ago. It's just the gist of the Hindenburg disaster. That is so funny that you said Titanic of the Sky because that whole way through I was thinking it's Titanic but in the air. Mm -hmm. All the rich people are on it. They think it's so it's too big to fail. Mm -hmm. And then that one sank and this one crashed. Yep. I love it. Essentially the same route as the Titanic. Yeah, as soon as you said across the Atlantic, uh -huh. I was like, ding, 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 ding. Almost the same size mm. as the Titanic. So how much do you know about the Hindenburg? I know, oh, the humanity. Mm. Um, I have seen grainy black and white footage, so I'm very interested to know about this video cameras in the 1930s thing. Mm. Um, I've seen grainy black and white footage, but I'm pretty sure I've only seen it on the episode of Family Guy where Brian and Stewie time travel <laughs> yeah. and Brian is somehow standing in front of the Hindenburg as it crashes. Mm. So that is about as much as I know. Yeah. It's really iconic imagery. Yeah. And we've all sort of grown up seeing it in yeah. different TV shows, different movies. And hearing, oh, the humanity. In movies like Heathers. Yes. And it was used in Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. um, oh, gosh, there's a huge list of times it's been used. Pop cultural pop references. So we've all seen it, but very few of us, including myself until a few weeks ago, mm. know very much at all about what the Hindenburg was and mm. how it went down and how many lives were lost. I do also know that it's like the Duff blimp. Yeah. Is that what it's like? Mm. Like a big blimp. Yep, inflatable airship. Yeah, big inflatable airship, like... We don't have blimps in Australia, so we really only know the Duff blimp from The Simpsons. Mm. Or the Goodyear blimp. Or the Goodyear blimp, mm. yeah, which I remember being in LA for the first time like 11 years ago now, and um, I saw a blimp in the sky, and I was like, oh, I'm in The Simpsons, <laughs> because we just don't have them here, mm. um, and that was the Goodyear blimp. And so the Hindenburg was like a blimp. Like a blimp? Technically not a blimp. We would look at a picture of it and, and say, it was oh, a blimp. that's a blimp. It's like a big blow-up thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, back in the 1930s, though, someone would look at it and say, that there was a Zeppelin. Ah. That was like the common there term a Zeppelin. for them. The person who does the breaking news song would go, that there is a Zeppelin. And it's a bee's knee, It's see? a bee's knee, see? Yeah. Um, yeah, technically they called it an airship. Right. Or a dirigible. Yes. Um, but most people called them Zeppelins. Mm -hmm. What set a Zeppelin apart from a blimp is that a blimp is just like one inflatable balloon mm -hmm. and when you deflate it, it just goes all floppy mm. and limp like a used condom. Mm -hmm. Whereas these Zeppelins had like a, a sturdy rib cage inside a yeah, frame. Yeah, that's my question. Like, because I was like, how are people inside it? Just like flopping around like a jumping castle? Like, how is it, <laughs> where do they sit? If, if, they're, if, set it's, up proper if it's passenger travel. Mm. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, essentially it was a ship that they'd then just attached a giant balloon to the top of to make it float. Kind of like in Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they have those. Yeah. yeah. Um, the reason that they called them Zeppelins was mm. because the German-owned Zeppelin company had dominated the dirigible airship industry for decades. What's dirigible? Dirigible means an airship you can steer. Oh, okay. I only know that word from Schitt's Creek. When Moira says, oh, Jocelyn, that dirigible has ascended. <laughs> of course. I was like, why, why do you know this word? So is that, did Led Zeppelin get their name from old sure airships? Did. Yes. Ah, the more you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. 
And so a Zeppelin became sort of just a basic noun when really it was a brand name. So it's kind of like how Yanks call tissues Kleenexes yeah. and British say Hoover for, for vacuum, vacuum. And we say Glad Wrap for cling film yeah. here. And all around the world, people say Google when so they just mean search engine. There were lots of airships of different names, but Zeppelin was the main brand everyone knew. So they just all got called Zeppelin. Exactly. Okay. All around the world. Gotcha. And that company was called Zeppelin mm-hmm. because it was named after Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin, whose full legal name was Ferdinand Adolf Heinrich August Graf von Zeppelin. What a name. And he was obsessed with the idea of air travel Mm -hmm. and started tinkering away with building airships in the late 1800s, launched his first one in 1900, and he was the one that came up with the big innovation of making airships with the rigid frame, the rib cage. Yeah, Yeah, inside the sort of balloon thing. That's right. Were there planes... At this point? Yes, but they hadn't figured out how to pressurise the cabins, so they couldn't fly particularly high. They couldn't go very long distances Right. So these were before planes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. In fact, they'd started making airships back in the 1700s, the late 1700s. Really? I mean, the most basic ones were hot air balloons. Yeah, like a hot air balloon. Yeah. Yeah, the basket underneath is like the ship, essentially. Until they then figured out you could have more success if you put gases in there rather than Ah. heating air up. You could get greater levels of control. And over the course of a century and a bit, it just continued to advance. I had no idea that air, like, machines travel was that advanced Mm. at that stage. I mean, da Vinci was designing some in the 1500s. How successful they would have been had he built them. Mm. Mm. But still, I mean, in you know, we're at a place where in 1900, this guy's got some things up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. impressive. Wow. So what he'd come up with was building this rib cage mm-hmm. and then putting what they call a bunch of ballonets, like littler balloons, mm-hmm. inside the bigger balloon. Mm-hmm. You can kind of think of it as like lungs inside a rib cage. Each one could be filled individually yeah. with gas, which then gives you greater control over the buoyancy of uh, the overall yeah. ship. And if one of those balloons becomes damaged, then you've still got the other ones to like keep the ship. The Titanic's in the air. watertight compartment. Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. Gotcha. Yep. So those gas bag lungs, mm-hmm. they could just be filled with any gas that's lighter than air. There's not a whole lot of them. Most of the time, they were filled up with hydrogen. And we'll get into Ooh, is that, talking about that a explo- little bit later explodable? on. Yeah. Because like hydrogen bomb. That's right. Uh-oh. Foreshadowing okay. right okay. there. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Originally, gas bags were made out of kilometers worth of cow intestines. Ew. Very good at holding in gas. Well, that's what weren't condoms made out of like uh, sheep's stomachs mm-hmm. lining and stuff back in the day. Mm-hmm. If it keeps shit out, that's all you want. It didn't waste any part of the animal. Um, this may not be relevant to anything, but the term gas bags, like as in gas bagging, <laughs> gossiping, yeah. does it link? It must link back to that somehow for some reason. Surely, There's got to be some sort of nineteen thirties yeah. slang connection. You I'm keep sure. saying gas yeah. bags, and I'm just imagining like twenty <laughs> old ladies with their hair and rollers inside the airship. Like that, my head just keeps Keeping going. Keeping it aloft. Yeah, all the gas bags in there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna look into that. <laughs> <gasps> and then once you'd made the giant structure yeah. floatable, you'd put a couple of motors on each side so you could give it some thrust to move it backwards oh, forward, and forwards, yeah. rudders for steering left and right, mm. and then, of course, you've got to add in the places for people to sit and steer and control the vessel. So people don't sit inside it, they sit below it. Down the bottom. Yeah. In yes, a... inside. That's where they've set up the cabins. Oh, but there's just little cabins at the bottom. That's okay, right. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in relation to this overall size mm. of the vessel, a small amount is dedicated yeah. to sleeping quarters and dining quarters. Dining like, quarters. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. We'll get into that. Yeah. So kind of like um, roughly the size of I'd say a five bedroom. House, mm-hmm. and two then how? And how big's the down the bottom thing around it? The same length as the Titanic. Hey, fifteen whoa. stories high. So it takes a lot of gas bags to get a little cabin up in the air. Really, that's right. Wow. Okay. Yep. Whoa. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, before the First World War, they were used to transport people and cargo, very utilitarian. Um, Then during the war, they were used by Germans to drop bombs on cities and they were called baby killers and that was something that was really feared. Called baby killers because it was the first time that war was sort of moving out of just the front lines yeah, and the trenches and into you. suburban and urban areas. And that thing would be huge and you'd see it coming. So intimidating. And where can you go? That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow. But then um, they figured out they're very easy to shoot out of the sky. Mm, yeah. Yes, mm, I can imagine. Not effective warships, mm-hmm. really. So then after the war, they went back to their transport duties. Mm-hmm. And Germany was certainly not the only country that was making and using airships, but they were really determined to dominate the industry. Mm -hmm. They felt like they owned it and wanted to hang on to it. So that meant building the biggest, most luxurious, most impressive airships. Mm. That was their motivation for building the Luftschiff Zeppelin 129. Mm. Biggest aircraft any type ever made. And that, of course, ended up being the ill-fated airship that would go on to be called the Hindenburg. Oh, okay. Mm. So they started drawing up plans for this mega airship in the late 1920s, Mm -hmm. started building it in 1931, and then it wasn't ready to actually take flight until 1936 because it was so huge. So that's World War II time. Not quite, no. When's World War II kicked off in 39. 39 yeah, to... F- we're in between yes, wars right. here. Gotcha, gotcha. In the yeah. Depression, though, Yeah, I think. Um, and just to give you an idea as well, this is the year before Amelia Earhart disappeared. Ah. Actually, by the time we get to the crash, that's only a couple of months before Amelia Earhart. Wow, so really? still aviation was very much in its infancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 245 metres long as I said, Mm -hmm. just shy of the Titanic. Mm -hmm. If you picture an Olympic swimming pool, now picture five of them lined up. That's how enormous it was from nose to tail. And at its highest point, 40 metres tall, Mm. 15 storeys high. Wow, that is huge. Yes. And then just the little thing on the bottom with people in it. That's right. Wow. Capacity for 70 passengers and 60 And what kind of trips can it do? Are we talking overnight, an hour? Very long distances. Really? Yeah. One of its longest trips it would do was from Frankfurt in Germany to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And how long does that take? Uh, I think that one was five days. (gasps) Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. The most popular route was across the Atlantic just to um, New Jersey. Yeah. From Frankfurt, and that would take two and a half days. So they really did need cabins, like, because they had to sleep and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm. Whoa. Five days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heck of a lot faster than if you went by boat. Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, but planes now, what's the longest trip you can do? Like, Sydney to LA is like, what, 20, I don't know, a little less. No. Than, it's like 17 hours or something. Is it? Yeah, it's long, isn't it? It's like 16 hours or something. In my head, it was only about 12. But um, yeah, Yeah. I think they've got planes now that will stay in the air for 24 hours. Well, but still, not five days. No. Mm. Um, I mean, they didn't really need a huge amount of fuel. Once the gas was in the balloon, it was able to stay up in the air. Then they just needed enough diesel power for the little motors to keep the engines turning. Yeah. I just wouldn't feel safe for five days. (sighs) Up in the air. You know what I mean? It wouldn't feel safe. Maybe we can insert some poo talk here. Imagine if the plumbing went awry. Right? I wonder if they just empty it wherever they they are. Yeah, Yeah, they would. Um, Mm. Now, originally, the hope was that they would be able to fill the Hindenburg Mm. with helium Mm -hmm. rather than hydrogen. Hydrogen did certainly have the advantage of being the lightest and the cheapest and most readily available gas. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big, big downside, as we alluded to, super duper flammable. Mm. When it's exposed to air, it just needs one little spark <gasps> and up it'll go. Whereas helium, completely non-flammable. Yeah. But it's quite a bit more expensive and you need a lot more of it to lift the same amount of weight into the air. Right. And it makes everyone sound silly. Yeah, it's just good fun. Um, but yeah, heaps safer, so the Krauts really wanted to use it. The problem was America was hoarding almost all the helium gas in the world at that time, not selling it to anyone, least of all the Germans. Yeah, a couple of questions here. Yeah. One, why can't they just use air? 
because it's too heavy. Yes. Okay. Two. I didn't know helium was a finite. I've never really thought about this before, mm. but I I guess I just assumed you I. just make helium. Same. Like I did. What do you mean you get? They're hoarding helium. Where are they getting it from? Where does it come from? When they were digging up oil, yeah, in North America, it's like a byproduct that they can extract at the same time. Stop it. Yeah. So are we going to run out of helium yep, one day? We are. Stop it. Mm-hmm. What? That's why stupid things like helium balloon releases say, are so wasteful. will be ruined forever. Mm. Yep, they've got to dig it up out of the ground. Well, mm. I mean, birth- balloon releases aren't wasteful. Just using it in the balloon at all is wasteful because once it's in the balloon, it's whether you let the balloon go or not, you've wasted the helium. Very true. But... Yep. We're going to run out of helium. Mm-hmm. When? <laughs> I think we're. <laughs> oh, sorry. There are a lot more changes you, that are going to happen. Some much bigger catastrophes are going to happen before oh we reach goodness. that point. Yeah, I don't think they That's know so how much helium there is. Yeah, I had no idea. I truly either. thought it was just made. Like you mix something with air and there's mm. helium. Like I didn't even. Mm. Whoa. Yeah, they dig it up. And the Americans had like 90% of the available helium and they were like, we're going to hang on to this. Yeah. Thanks very much. Okay. Certainly not going to give it to a country that is being led by that guy. Yeah. Because Hitler was in control Mm. by this point. And they've used those things to drop bombs. Mm. So we're not going to help you do that. Yeah. Yeah. So the Zeppelin company was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just have to use our fallback hydrogen. 200,000 cubic meters worth of super flammable hydrogen gas. Mm. That was coated, uh, sorry, contained in a flammable cotton fabric. And that fabric was then painted with a very flammable metallic paint. Where do you get the hydrogen from? That you can actually extract very easily from water. You can separate the hydrogen and the oxygen molecules from water. So you just get it from water. So you can just. Hydrogen's just, anyway, you just got to know how to do it. That's right. And then when you say they store, it's, I, my brain can't, like my head can't get around the concept of storing a gas mm. or like air or when you say there was this many cubic meters, I'm like, how does it not just float away? Mm. So they've got it in tanks, obviously. Yeah. They've extracted it. They've put it into tanks. Then when they're ready, they go and pump the hydrogen from the tanks into the gas bags, Uh the gas cells. There are 16 of them Mm -hmm. inside the overall giant structure of the Hindenburg. And they inflate them while they've weighted and tied the vessel down. So it's trying to take off until (sighs) they're ready to cut it loose. It won't. And meanwhile, there's flammable paint Mm -hmm. on the that it's made out of. Whoops. That's it. Okay. And then when they want to come down to land, they have to lose buoyancy. So that's when they release the valves and let out. Let some the hydrogen of the gas. out. Yeah. Mm. And where does it go? That where does it go then? Out into the atmosphere. That doesn't seem safe. Not to us today, no. Okay. Mm. All right. None of this seems particularly safe. It's falling into place in my mind. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like this one's inevitable. <laughs> Is this going to end badly? (laughs) I feel like this isn't going to go well. Mm. Okay. All right. So the purpose of the Hindenburg, partly commercial transport, charging super wealthy passengers a very high price for their tickets. Mm -hmm. But much more than that, its purpose was as a propaganda tool to show off German ingenuity and engineering prowess. It was very much a status symbol And of course, in terms of branding, Hitler and his team weren't going to miss out on an opportunity. So Mm -hmm. it was traveling around the world with giant swastikas. (gasps) Was it really? Oh, no. Mm. Uh oh. World War II, like I said, still a few years away, but the Nazis were very much into throwing their weight around and posturing and intimidating. People. Yeah. And it was intimidating when yeah. a giant airship would suddenly appear above your city and you'd be in its shadow and sort of Swastikas be stickers yeah. above you. Um, and he did that quite a lot, called them propaganda <laughs> flights, and that's initially what the Hindenburg was used for, wow. just 
peacocking around, showing <laughs> off. <laughs> yes. Um, famously, the Hindenburg was there hovering over the stadium at the 1936 Berlin Olympic Games. Was it really? Like the Goodyear blimp does exactly. at American sporting events. Oh, my God. Yeah, advertising Nazism yeah. as opposed Whoa. to tyres. Um, they also used the Hindenburg for pamphlet drops around the place. Really? Which was a common practice from, like, the very early airships yeah. when people wanted to distribute information that just fly around throwing pamphlets out. That's, yeah, I suppose it gets it done fast. Um, then the Hindenburg got into the long-haul passenger flights, North and South America, and look, a lot of people, when they hear Titanic of the Skies, mm. they think maiden voyage, so yeah. they assume that this disastrous flight of the Hindenburg must have been the first time mm. it crossed the Atlantic. Not true. It had done heaps of trips back oh, and forth okay. in its first year of yeah. travel. All luckily, by pure luck really, without incident. And so it developed this reputation as a really quick, safe way to travel. Yeah. And it was also very, very prestigious because they'd made sure it felt like being on a luxe cruise liner. Cruise liner. But mm. in the air. So they created these really opulent recreation areas with original artworks on the wall. They even had a custom aluminium light weight piano made so they could entertain the guests. It weighed like as much as a chihuahua. Um, they invited everyone each night to put on their formal wear, yeah. come to the dining room for a fine dining experience. Yes. So there's a kitchen then. Meals. Yes. <gasps> no open flames, all just electronic. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. Proper chefs as well. Private quarters, lovely bathroom facilities. They regularly <laughs> held Catholic masses in the air. Oh, my God. <laughs> on Sundays, people didn't miss out on their church experience. Kind of ironic when we see what happens. Um, I truly thought the bit down the bottom was like the size of a bus. Just a cargo hole. Yeah. Like a sea container. And like some wooden benches. Mm. Whoa. Maybe a bit, bit bigger than a five-bedroom. House. Yeah, it must be, right? I'll look I'll link you to the dimensions. You can check that out for yourself. Famously, they had a smoking room. <laughs> oh no, they mm-hmm. didn't how. Look, they were very careful. They'd... <laughs> <laughs> they thought a lot about it. They had. They had managed to pressurize that room and they had like a double door and a proper airlock situation going on. The only lighters or matches on board the entire vessel were there in that smoking room and they were controlled by the bartender and they had a security guy there at all times making sure no one left the cabin with a lit cigarette or cigar. Why, 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 <laughs> why, why? Make it a priority. Like why? Because <laughs> everyone was it not, smoked back then. Sure, but that truly to go to that extent mm. to have that on the ship when it's literally like they need a security man there because it will lead to people's deaths mm. in a second. And they but they're like, nope, got to do it. Can't not smoke. Got to do it. Honestly, no passengers would have bought a ticket on there if they knew that they were going to have to go two, three, maybe five five days days without a cigarette. Oh, my God. Yeah, they had to come up with a solution for that for sure to be able to compete with the cruise liners because that was their direct competition. Rich travellers had to make the decision if they want to get across the Atlantic and they want to go in the most plush way possible, they either go on the Queen Mary, which will take five to six days, or they go on the Hindenburg, which will take two, maybe three at the most. Yeah, okay. Double the price to go on the Hindenburg, Mm. but you get there in half the time Mm. and you're not going to have to deal with seasickness. Plus, it was a real status symbol to be able to say. You've been on it. Flew on the Hindi. Yeah, Yeah. right. People really aspired to it because it was such a famous vessel. Um, Everyone had seen pictures in magazines Mm. and they'd probably seen footage in movie theatres as well. Plus, it would just show up over their cities (laughs) a lot of the time. Um, So, yeah, it had this fascination for people all Mm. around the world. And on the evening of May 3rd, 1937, the Hindenburg took to the skies from Frankfurt Mm -hmm. with 97 people on board heading off on her first trip to North America of the 1937 season, Mm -hmm. her 63rd flight overall. And there was a lot of fanfare for this new season because over the winter they'd refurbished the vessel a bit. 
Ooh. done some upgrades, added some extra cabins, yeah. put in some extra luxurious amenities. Despite that, they were only at half passenger capacity, 36 passengers on this flight. Oh, okay. Still 61 crew members. Crew. And they were scheduled to land in New Jersey on May 6th, early in the morning. So two and a half days okay. of travel. Yeah. But because of some really strong headwinds along the way, she was running about 12 hours behind schedule, which mm-hmm. was a bit annoying for the passengers on board. Um, and not really a great look for Captain Max Pruss because this was his first assignment as the head bitch in charge oh. for the flight from Frankfurt to uh, New Jersey. The pressure's on. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't until late afternoon on the 6th when the Hindenburg made it into US airspace, as usual, made sure she flew over as many big cities <laughs> as possible, yeah. just to Peacock, over Boston, over Manhattan. As she went, cars were stopping in the street and people were running outside mm. to cop a look at her because she was so yeah. incredibly impressive. Shiny and silver and, like and just huge. this feat of engineering. Yeah, the Titanic Imagine in the Imagine seeing sky. that in the sky, yeah. And seeing people waving down at you Whoa. as well because they could literally open the windows. They could open and the wave windows? Down. Yep. What? Because it didn't need to be pressurized. They weren't flying that high up in of the air. Course. Mm. How high up were they? A few hundred meters. Oh my god, that's that would be so huge and imposing. Mm. Yeah. Over you, over a city. If watch some of the documentaries that I'll post links to, they're yeah. available on YouTube and yeah, seeing the footage of this thing, it's just incredible. Looks like it's yeah, something wow. from science fiction. It would be incredible now. We yeah. don't have anything like like you know the other week when we were at the opera house and the um Queen Mary was there. Or was mm. it the Queen QE2? Queen Mary 2. Yep. Um, that I've been on. It's amazing. Mm. Um, would love to go again if anyone's <laughs> listening. Um, and that is huge. Even just sitting in the harbour across from us, it felt imposing. Mm. And imagine that being up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Like that is crazy. Mm. Whoa. Yeah, it's hard to fathom. Um, I mean, when you look at comparison pictures as well, like it's as long as the White House when they put an image one above the other. I truly never thought it was this big. Mm. Like I thought it was like, I don't know, maybe the, I thought it was like the length of a few buses Mm -hmm. and then the little bit underneath was maybe like one bus. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I didn't, I thought it was the size of a big plane. Five times the size of... Uh, the Goodyear blimp. Oh, my God. Yeah. Whoa. So that's a lot of hydrogen. Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, about 4 p.m., arrived at New Jersey mm-hmm. at the airfield, and the weather was just too stormy to attempt a okay. landing. So the captain took the ship on a bit of a scenic flight up and down the Jersey shoreline while mm. they waited for the storms to pass. Meanwhile, there were quite a few people who'd been waiting at the airfield all day long. Mm. News outlets were there to cover the first Hindenburg arrival of the year. They Mm. had radio broadcasters there and TV crews. There were families there to welcome their loved ones home, obviously. And there were also a lot of fancy rich passengers who had tickets for the sold-out return trip to Ah, Europe. Oh, okay. They were the ones who were getting the most impatient because they really wanted to get to the UK in time to catch the end of King George's coronation, which had already kicked off. Okay. So they were the ones that were sort of tapping their feet like, come on, come on, come on. Mm -hmm. Finally, around 7pm, the captain and the ground crew decided, look, the weather's cleared up enough. We're going to go ahead and attempt a landing. So he ordered his crew to do all the things they needed to do to reduce buoyancy and get them down to the mooring mast. So when they land, Mm. is it a matter of like, you know, letting out some of the hydrogen so they start sinking and then are there people on the ground like with ropes and they quickly tie it down? Is that the kind of... Yes, I wanted to describe this to you because it blew my mind. It sounds simple, but it's actually really, really tricky and takes a lot of people and can be super dangerous. Like how do you catch it? So first off, they have to let ropes down. Yes. And those ropes have to be allowed to touch the ground first to discharge all the static electricity that's built up on the airship during the trip because of all the friction. So, if you think of when you rub a balloon on your jumper and then hold it up near your head, like static electricity, imagine that times the size of 
this thing. Something the size of the Titanic, right? right? If you were to just grab the rope before it had hit the ground. Be like electric shock times a thousand. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they had to be careful of that. They learned that lesson the hard way. Mm. And then they'd have to have dozens and dozens of big burly men each grabbing a rope and hanging <laughs> on to it and then Says. pulling <gasps> down Whoa. until they could get like the main anchor rope attached to a winch and then wind, like, wind, 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 wind to get it down oh to the ground. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And there were incidents where that went horribly wrong. So Did the men people would be get stuck on, on the ropes, rope and it would float sudden away? Sudden gust of wind, <gasps> off goes the yes, airship, and, and they didn't let go in time. So there are stories of sometimes they'd then be pulled up into the ship. Other times they would Dropped. just yeah fall to their doom. Oh, no. Lives were lost. Yeah. Anyway, it seems like things were kind of going smoothly, uh-huh. although in posterity we can see that there were warning signs mm. that things were not right. On the way down, the wind kept changing direction, and so the Hindenburg had to make a few sharp turns to stay on course. Okay, yeah. Nothing too drastic, but you don't normally with an airship make yeah. really sharp turns to the left or the right. They were also having a bit of trouble maintaining an even keel, like the back end of the ship seemed to be losing buoyancy and was riding right. low. The captain gave orders to try to even things out by moving the crew around. Seemed like he'd sort of solved yeah. that problem. And then they got to where they needed to be about 50 metres off the ground. So close. Most of the passengers on board were watching out the windows and all of the folks on the ground, of course, were looking up at the ship. The camera crews were getting ready for the right moment to press record. They didn't want to waste any of their expensive film film until the action had started. Um, And all the ground crew were taking their positions under the ship, getting ready to pull it down. Oh, no. And then to everyone's very sudden, horrific surprise, the airship went up in flames. Like in a second? Just out of nowhere. The (gasps) back of the craft ignited first and then the fire spread super quickly. And yes, literally within seconds, the whole ship was just one giant fireball. Because if it's all hydrogen in there, it really, it wouldn't be like, oh no, a fire started. Mm -hmm. And then it it literally would just all. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I want to see. Well, do you want to come around here yes. and show it to you? Come on round. I've got... Um, this is very different to what I remember from Family Guy. <laughs> Hold on. Wow, that's so clear. So this is an HD colorization. So it's like real footage, but they've kind of zhuzhed it. That's right. So just to begin with, I'll show you... Like, that's the original. Yeah, that's kind of what I have in my head. Type footage, grainy, black and white, not a lot of frames per second. Um, And yeah, using technology, they've been able to really paint a picture of exactly what happened. It looks like a big, okay, I had two thoughts. It looks like a big penis, but then it also looks like a big whale. It looks like a big whale, like a big dolphin, Mm. because it's big and silver and, okay, wait, go back. Very sort of aerodynamic, yeah. I thought, vibrator. Okay, wait. So what... Oh, yeah, it does look like a vibrator. Um, so I'm going to show you from four different angles. Okay. Now... Whoa, it's... That looks like it's from a movie. Yeah. <gasps> look how fast. <gasps> it looks animated. Oh, my God. You can see how quickly the skin is burning. Just going... Because it's that disappearing. cotton and the flammable paint just went whoosh <gasps> along with... All of the hydrogen. It feels impossible for something that big to just disintegrate that quickly. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this footage exists. Like, I've only ever seen or remembered just really grainy. What's the point of even watching? You can't see any. Oh! Mm. Whoa. Oh, we've just seen still images. Yeah. Like the cover of the Led Zeppelin yeah, yeah. album. <gasps> it's just gone. Wait, can I see it again blow up? Well, let's look from a different yeah. angle. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God, there are people running. So the ground <gasps> crew only had a few seconds to realise what was going on and get out of there. Whoa. 
that's crazy footage. I had no idea that existed like that. Mm. Nor did I until I started really getting into this. So the guy narrating, was he a journalist there to like film it or the guy who says, oh, the humanity? Yeah. So his name is Herbert Morrison. Uh-huh. And yes, he was there just to like record an audio description of the landing, which was a pretty routine yeah. sort of thing. It was being pre-recorded. It wasn't broadcast live. Right. Okay. Um, it was going to be um, yeah played on the radio. later on that evening, just on local radio. Yeah. But it ended up like becoming the definitive account of what was going on, and one of the most famous audio clips of all time, without question. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was the first time that the same bit of audio was played on radio across the entire country of the United States of America. Can you can you read what he said over the whole thirty nine seconds? Whatever. Play it. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to rain again. The rain had uh, slacked up a little bit. They backed motors with the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get it started. Get it started. It's flying and it's rising. It's rising. Terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's burning bursting into flames and, and it's falling on the morning grass. And all the folks between that this is terrible. This is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's... It's, it's, it's flaming. Oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flames rising to the ground, not quite to the morning mass. All the humanity and all the fans are just feeding around it. I told you, I can't even talk to people. The fans are out there. It's, 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 oh, I, I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. Honestly, it's just laying down mass and smoking wreckage. And everybody can't hardly breathe and talk and scream it. Lady, I, I, I'm sorry. Honestly, I, I can hardly breathe. I, I'm going to step inside while I cannot see it. Johnny, that's terrible. I, 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 I Listen, folks, I, I'm going to have to stop for a minute because I've lost the voices. This is the worst thing I've ever witnessed. Wow. I think it's better, yeah, to hear him. So you can hear the emotion in his voice yeah. and the way he goes from professionally just, you know, filling airtime by talking about the rain and the yeah. weather. And then all of a sudden, there's flames at the back of it. He had the presence of mind to describe what was going on. Um, but also what I really liked about that was that he has the presence of mind to describe what's going on. Yeah, like he he knows I've got to document this. But also, he's not a super polished no. Like, you think about, for example, journalists who, like, news anchors who watched the second plane fly into the tower on 9 11. Mm. It was a shock, but it was still very much, okay, ladies and gentlemen, a second plane has, blah, blah, blah. like, it was, they're polished, they're mm. trained. This was someone who he was documenting what he was seeing, but as a human being, not as a journalist. Mm. Like, because you can tell he seems horrified, disturbed, traumatized. Mm. To the point where he says, I have to stop. Yeah. He's feeling an enormous amount of empathy for Ooh, people. Oh, when board he goes, Oh, get out of the way, cool. please. Yeah. Oh. He's talking about the friends and the family and how's he possibly going to talk to any of these people given what they've just watched happen to their loved ones. And yeah, really raw emotion. There's an urban myth out there that he got fired for this because he was unprofessional mm. during the recording. That's not true. That really just sort of stems we think, from the fact that he left that job to go to another network mm-hmm, okay. within a year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's this rumour out there that he he got fired. But he did... That was... There's no reason he... You couldn't have asked have for him to give a better account of it. Mm. Like, I think it's better that his emotion is in it. Yeah. And then all the humanity... Yeah. ...has become that iconic yeah. line that's been used over and over again and will continue to be used over and over. I wonder what made him say that, like if it was an expression already or if it was just like he just articulated what he was feeling, thinking, like, yeah, I wonder if it was. What he was trying to express was, oh, what a huge loss of life. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, oh, the humanity. I don't know if that was a common expression. Hmm. Yeah, so as I started to say, the onlookers were like, everyone on board must have just been burnt to a crisp the second that happened. But then once the wreckage was on the ground and the flames started to die down a little bit, they realized there were people emerging from 
the flames. Because the people running out there that you can see running, like literally it's just the flaming ship and then all of a sudden a person's running out of it. Mm. I assumed that was the ground, people in the ground crew. Mm. No. Passengers. It was passengers. (gasps) And incredibly, two-thirds of the 97 people on the Hindenburg that afternoon survived. What? Yeah. I thought they all died. I thought you were going to say one person lived. Mm -mm -mm. Two-thirds? Two-thirds of them. How? Yeah. Uh, We'll get into talking about that. But first off, we should acknowledge that there were 37 casualties, of course. Yes. 13 of them were passengers, 22 were crew members. Mm-hmm. One of them was a ground crew member who couldn't get out of the way fast enough. Mm-hmm. And also one dog. Oh, no. Mm. Some died Doggo. there in the wreckage. Mm. A lot of them, though, died later burns. in the hospital from burns. Smoke inhalation mm. was the bad thing. Um, and, of course, broken bones and crushed organs. Yeah, yeah all, of, in all of it. the wreckage. Um, all of the survivors were interviewed when they were healthy enough and able to, and each of them described their experience of the crash. And they were quite individual circumstances of how they managed to survive. A number of people jumped when they realized what was going on. They were willing to risk the fall versus Mm. the flames. Some people didn't survive the fall, but a lot of the survivors did make the decision to jump out. And that's what saved their lives, including one guy whose name was Joseph Spar. He was a vaudeville contortionist slash acrobat slash comedian. He used the stage name Ben Dover. <laughs> Classic gag. Um, he was on his way home to the States to start doing a new show at Radio City, uh, Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. And he said the first signs that he noticed that something was wrong was when he was looking out the window mm. at the building, the hangar, where all the people were waiting for them, and yeah. he suddenly could see a bright orange glow reflecting off the building. And he was like, that's weird. And then all of a sudden, the floor just tilted down 45 degrees because as he you saw... He saw a reflection whole- of his own ship on fire. Yep. In the building. And that was the first thing that indicated, oh, something's not right here. He managed to quickly grab onto the frame of the window that he was looking at. And that's when he saw the flames were coming close. So he. Towards him? Yeah. Yeah. So he hung himself outside. Off the window frame. Yeah. And then he just waited a few seconds, realizing that the ship was heading down towards the ground. And if he waited a little while, he'd be close enough to the ground that he probably wouldn't get hurt. Like, what a balance to have to hit flames coming towards Mm. you. You want to get close enough to the ground. You really have to pick the exact right moment. Yep. And he picked around the five meter point. Hey, that's. Yeah. Dropped on down, did an acrobatic little tuck and roll. Yeah. Got up, walked away. Whoa. Slight injury to his ankle, but thanks to adrenaline, he couldn't even feel that yeah. at the time. Within minutes, he was reunited with his family. Sadly, though, it was his dog that was in the oh, cargo no. hold that didn't make it out oh, alive. Sorry, bend yeah. over. So that was his survival story where he, you know, really sort of took control and did what he needed to do Mm. to get out alive. Would you, I've always thought this, I thought this back at, you know, when we watched 9-11 and even thinking this now, like being burned alive is my worst nightmare. Mm. It's literally probably my worst nightmare. Mm. I would, I would jump. Absolutely. Absolutely rather than have I'm that pretty happen. Sure. However, I do really relate to this one older lady okay. that I'm about to tell oh, you about. Oh, let me hear. Her name was Margaret. Yeah. And like the others, she was watching the landing out the window and when the ship tilted, mm-hmm. she just got knocked off her feet and swooshed about six metres mm. towards the wall, which was now basically the floor. Oh, my God. Luckily, she landed on a padded lounge. Mm. But then unluckily, other people started landing on top of her. Ugh, so she yeah. was sort of very disoriented and confused about what was going on. How old is she? She was in her early 60s, I think. Okay. Uh, then those people started clambering over to the windows mm. so they could jump out and Margaret didn't really know what to do. So I suspect that maybe this would be me. She just sort of froze. Mm. She just stayed seated on 
the lounge and as you saw, the ship sort of <laughs> levels out and yeah. just descends down mm, to the, the ground. As a few. the balloon's burning on yeah, top, yeah. That's right. Um, as the flame started to come close to her, she just covered her hair with her fur coat. <laughs> <laughs> and waited for the big crash landing that she thought was going to indicate to her, okay, we're on the ground now. But then because it felt to her like they landed really, really gently, she didn't even notice that they'd landed until a rescue team member came in and grabbed her and forced her to her feet and walked her out. But it all happened so fast. Like, Mm. how did this happen? How She'd just been sitting there. In the flames. While it all burnt around her. Yep. Was she Protected burnt? Protected by her furs. Her hands were a bit burnt. <gasps> but that not is too badly. The epitome of I cannot deal with this, yep. thank you. <laughs> and just going into your thing. That's what I can like, see myself doing. Just going, nope. Because when I you know, I have a history of panic attacks and when I get them one of the main things I need, a lot of people need to go outside and be mm. in the open. I need to be in a small space. Mm. I need to feel confined. I'll like I've in the past like sat in a wardrobe or if I have nothing else, I just put my hands around my face, like my eyes to try and feel like I'm in a tiny space because there's something about when things get overwhelming, just going, no, thank you world mm. and going into your little, and she really just went nuts. Not today, mm-hmm. not for me. Yep. Not getting, into it. Getting inside this little cocoon. Yeah. And then she emerged. Perfectly safe butterfly. Yeah. I mean, you know what? You never know how you're going to react in a like mm. emergency, disaster, unexpected, yep. whatever. You Very don't know. True. I'll tell you one more yes. survival story. I want 10 more. <sighs> the Derner family. This one. Oh, whole family. Yes, it was, they were Germans, five of them, uh-huh. mom, dad, a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old. Oh, my God. When the ship started going down, the mom and the kids were at the windows, and the dad yeah. was back in their cabin. The thing started tilting, it was mm-hmm. obvious it was on fire, and the mom saw people jumping out the windows, and she was like, okay, that's probably a smart idea. So she lifted up the 10-year-old and sort of shoved him Chucked out him. the window. Jesus. Then she did the same for the 8-year-old. Yeah. And while she was doing that, she was telling the 14-year-old daughter that she needed to get herself out. Mm. Um, But the daughter was just too freaked out Mm. and fearful of heights, didn't want to jump. She was panicking, and so Mm. she flatly refused. So the mother then tried her best to lift her daughter up and out the window, but she was just too heavy and she was resisting. So then the mother decided to jump out herself as a way Mm. of trying to show the daughter, look, it's safe, come down to me. I'm sure she said that later. But I think it was like, I just want to get it. I did it there, to show her the way. That would absolutely be a factor that you'd be like, <laughs> I just can't stay on the ship with her if she's not going to come. Yeah. Um, but oh, yeah, but she so, said, anyway, yeah. So hope. Um, the daughter didn't jump. She was pulled out of the wreckage alive <gasps> shortly after it hit the ground mm. and she was taken to hospital, but she died there. Oh, now I feel bad hours. for making a joke. Yeah. Oh, no. What about the dad? He didn't make it either. He was in the cabin. Yeah, so now it was just the mum and her two younger sons, and she had to spend the rest of her life living with the choice she'd made. Oh, no. To jump without her daughter. Yeah. That young. But it's not a choice. That's, although I was making a joke, I did re- like really mean you would just jump. Mm. Like your, in- your literal animal instinct would. I don't even think you'd have control over it. Mm. It would be like trying to get her out, trying to get her out, trying to get her out, and then your body would just go, I'm jumping. Mm. You know? Like, I don't even think you'd have... It's your animal brain has kicked in. You can tell yourself that every single day for the rest of your life. You'll still feel an immense sense of guilt. (sighs) That youngest son, his name was Werner. Vianna Derna. Like the Raja. Yeah. Yeah. He ended up being the last living survivor of the crash and he died in 2020. Wow. Quite recently. Yeah. How old would he have been like? He was 90. Wow. Now, of course, the whole world wanted to know what caused this terrible tragedy. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we still don't know. 80 odd years later, 
still unsure how um, the fire started. Oh, was someone in the smoking room? No. Surely. Mm-mm-mm. Is that in the wrong place for where the fire started? That's right. Mm, interesting. Yeah, wrong location. Um, a lot of people, when they do hear smoking room, they're like, oh, there we go. That's the smoking gun. But also maybe but no, it's that not... That was actually the safest, most fireproof space. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, ironic. Yeah. But they, it's not like they would have done, you know, x-ray scanning as you get on. I bet people snuck lighters on. Like, it's like how they tell you don't smoke on the plane and people still try and do it in the toilet. Mm. Possibly. Maybe someone just, I don't know. But if you're 30 seconds away from landing, just wait, mate. You could hang in. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, let's talk about some of the most popular theories. Okay. Yep. First one being terrorism. There are people mm. who believe the ship was sabotaged, maybe someone on board planted a bomb, or maybe someone shot the ship down from the ground. Perhaps someone who was anti-German, anti-Nazi, or maybe like an industrial competitor. Would a bullet into it cause it to go on It'd fire? It would have to have some sort of incendiary quality to it, so it would still need to spark. Oh, one of those bullets. Well, there are bullets way. that when they mm. hit the thing, explode with things. Yeah. I'm sure. I don't know if they existed in 1937. Yeah, I don't know. But still. if they did, they didn't find any evidence of that whatsoever. So a bullet hitting it basically isn't enough to make it explode. It would, be, it would sort of start to deflate it from a hole. Yeah. And then once the hydrogen has been released, it just needs a spark right. to okay. set it off. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, for a while, bend over the acrobat. Yeah. He was put forward as the proposed possible Why? culprit. Uh, look, his motive, totally unclear, but he was investigated really, really intensely because he had the opportunity to plant an explosive that no one else had. He was the only passenger who was allowed to go down to the luggage hold where he'd go to feed his dog, yeah. And he was a contortionist, so maybe from there he'd been able to, like, squeeze his way between the gas bags to get towards the back of the ship and set a time bomb. That seems unlikely. Completely. But they had to make sure that they were turning over every single stone to check. Um, There was no evidence whatsoever that ever showed up indicating anything had been tampered with or Mm. any device had been planted anywhere. Even still, the terrorism theory was very popular, Mm. particularly back in Germany, and it was very enthusiastically backed by the captain of the ship, Mm -hmm. Max Proust, which makes perfect sense for him to back that it was sabotaged because a lot of experts were pointing their finger at him, Mm. blaming him for some bad errors that he'd made along the way that had caused the fire. Which brings us to the next theory that it was the captain's fault. Mm. Experts reviewed the testimonies and all the footage and they agreed it seemed like what had happened was Max Bruce decided to land in conditions that were still too windy because he wanted to get back on schedule after the big delay and do the return flight on time. Mm -hmm. And he made those sharp turns I mentioned Mm. when he was landing. Those sharp turns could have caused one of the bracing wires that holds like the rib cage structure together could have caused one of them to snap and flail about. And in its flailing, it could have then punctured one of the gas bags towards the back of the ship. Mm -hmm. And then once that hydrogen started leaking, as I said, it only needs a spark. That spark could come from a static charge. Yeah. Or it could even be the spark of metal on metal with yeah, that flailing Yeah, I was going to say with the wire. friction of the wire. Yep. So that's become the most widely accepted yeah. theory, that he was sort of being a bit reckless and there are a lot of people who worked for the Zeppelin company who were very willing to say, yes, we think this was the captain's mm. error. It makes sense, though, that they would throw him under the bus if they were trying to cover up their own yeah. negligence. So it's not the, the integrity level. of the, stru- the structure itself. That's right. Yeah. And it was only just in the last few years that there was an expert who found evidence that when the Zeppelin company were doing maintenance on the Hindenburg, doing those upgrades yeah. over the winter break, they were surprised to find that there was a lot of wear and tear on mm. all of the gas bags 
which indicated they'd been rubbing up against each other more than they'd been expecting on their trips. Every episode of Air Crash Investigations ends up the same. Yeah. <laughs> it always does. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shoddy mm-hmm. maintenance. It's just stuff that yeah. they've ignored, 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 mm-hmm. and then one day... Can't take it anymore. That's right. They should have replaced the gas bags Mm -hmm, before mm -hmm. they started leaking. Instead, Mm -hmm. they just taped over the areas where the fabric was starting to wear really thin. It's like um, the episode we did about the Challenger disaster, and that just came down to this little dodgy O-ring they had that they hadn't... They could have just replaced it. It would have been so easy. Mm -hmm. That's right. (sighs) but they were doing their best to turn this into a profitable business because it had been Mm. so expensive to build the Zeppelin and it was going to take a long time until they could actually get in the black. So, yeah, they weren't looking to invest extra money that they hadn't planned for. Um, He also found evidence of other problems and other near misses that the company had Mm. covered up pretty successfully over the years. They had a history of trying to keep their mistakes secret. And by letting the captain take the blame for their bad series Mm. of judgment calls, they could uh, protect their own reputation and Mm. engineering prowess, which ended up being completely worthless anyway because no one was going to fly on an airship after seeing footage of the Hindenburg. That was the end of an era. That would have been the most horrific footage people had ever seen, like ever seen in their lives. Mm. And it was certainly not the first or the worst airship accident that had happened. There'd been dozens over the course of Zeppelin Mm. aviation. But the other crashes happened away from public Mm. view, often out over an ocean, and most importantly, away from cameras. Yeah, because this was in the very early, early stages of things being, you know, committed to film, mm. being put on film and therefore preserved Copied, for posterity around the world. always. Mm. And it, no one would have ever seen something like that. Yeah. And now every country in the world had this playing in their theatres oh, with God. the commentary from Herb Morrison yeah. played over the top of it. Every country, I should say, except for Nazi Germany. Of course. They did not show any of the footage mm-hmm. until after World War II was done. Within a couple of years, the Nazis had made the decision to decommission all their airships and repurpose the metal to make fighter planes Mm, instead. Mm. And that was it for the airships. We still have, um, you know, things like the Goodyear blimp. Mm. Obviously, they have only ever been filled with helium ever since the Hindenburg disaster. And they're really just used as a gimmick these days, not for any practical purposes um because and they're small they're like they are like the size of kind of a couple of buses like they're small they don't need to be this giant show-off prestige status symbol it's just a flying billboard exactly Yeah. yeah um and yeah within a few years airplane engineering advanced in leaps and bounds yeah um and that was far quicker than the hindenburg could ever have been so yeah Completely obsolete, but a very interesting little chapter in history there. And that is just the gist of it. That is so much more intense than what I thought. Oh. Like, I really thought there was like 10 people on it. I thought it was a lot smaller. Mm. I thought um, there was grainy footage or even only photos, if that. Mm. I had no idea. Mm. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is just a very distilled yeah. version of the story and there are some very good documentaries with some good recreations mm. as well, which I'll put some links to. Love a good reenactment. Oh, my favourite. Um, some pretty shocking accents Love it. in a couple of them as well. Uh, they put forward different theories as well. What do you think it was? I think it definitely was negligence. On the path of the company. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's just an incredibly precarious, fragile thing to risk anyway. And if you're not really putting in the utmost upkeep you can, Mm. how is it It's going to go wrong? And it sounds like it was only a matter of time. Like it had almost gone wrong Mm -hmm. again and again and again and again until it did. They were having gas leaks, hydrogen gas oh, leaks, all the yeah, time. Right. And they were just covering them up. And they were just lucky that there was never a spark 
that came along and said a light until this. The hubris to not to mm. to risk it yep. when there's been leaks and stuff. Mm. And it was because the Zeppelin company themselves mm. that was operating these flights, they'd never had a disaster. Mm. Every other airship right. company around the world had had some really, really terrible ones, um, but they hadn't. So I think, yes, you're absolutely right. It was mm. hubris. It was arrogance. They believe we're better at this than anyone else Mm-mm-mm. and didn't acknowledge the fact that it was just luck that kept them in the game for so long. Oh, absolutely luck. Mm. Because they were laughing in the face of luck. Mm. Oh, yeah. man. You definitely also need to see the footage from the four different angles. Yes. Um, I'll also put a link to a digital animated tour if you want to wrap Ooh, your head around yes, the dimensions please. a bit better mm. and kind of understand where is the cabin in relation to everything else. There are a couple of um, websites that have been set up, one called facesofthehindenburg.blogspot.com mm-hmm. that actually has a biography of every single person who was on board and a bunch of the ground crew as well. Yeah. Um, and airships.net is where you can find everything you would want to know about oh. airships as well. Awesome. If you want to poke around those websites. Um yeah, and then the final thing I'll recommend is a three-episode podcast series called Hidden Hindenburg that uh-huh. came out in 2020, and that's by the guy who did all that research quite recently and uncovered the cover-ups mm. that the Zeppelin company had attempted. Um, so that's really good as well if you want to get an idea of some of the yeah. dodgy stuff they were doing. Wowzers. Mm. It is like... So as a kid, I was obsessed with the Titanic because my dad used to tell me stories about it and I just got really obsessed with the, you know, the whole story of it. This is so similar. Like if mm. my dad had told me stories about this, I reckon I would have been just as obsessed with the Hindenburg. I think, yeah, there's probably not quite as many Hindenburg nerds as there are Titanic nerds out there. Yeah, but still but there a lot. there are definitely some very, very dedicated folks. Yeah. And that's why they keep pumping out documentaries and books about it as well because it's maintained fascination. That's why people keep proposing theories Mm. long after it matters. Like, we don't need to know. And also, it was a big flammable balloon. It was going to go up. That caught in flames. flames. Yeah. Mm. It's not that, there's not much conspiracy to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, also there's a Mythbusters episode oh. um, where they sort of unpack and debunk the myth that it was actually the flammable paint that started the fire. So oh, the it paint wasn't. caught fire first and th- that set fire to the hydrogen. They were like, no, 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 it was definitely the hydrogen. It was definitely the the flammable thing. Yeah. yeah the the 200,000 cubic meters yes. of the flammable thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Paint didn't help, but... Mm. Not the cause. Yeah, right. Mm. If you care to check that out, you can. Bit of fun. Awesome. That was so good. Yay. I'm so glad I asked for a disaster because that was very fascinating. I hope you weren't too disappointed by the lack of poo. Yes, and I was going to say, after getting my hopes up with the cruise poo thing, (laughs) that you definitely, you know, made up for it. That was really good. Yay. Yes. All right. Till next time. Bye. Bye. 